Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation. Welcome to the 16th episode of the Pulling Tart Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Kuhn. Please do me a favor and share this podcast with your friends and drop a five-star rating. Give me a follow on Twitter to share all your thoughts and comments with me and talk about coming on as a potential guest at It's R.A. Kuhn. That's I-T-S-R-A-C-O-O-N. I am so excited to welcome on this week's guest. Not only will this episode appeal to minor league baseball fans and employees, but also far beyond our regular audience. I'd like to welcome Kurt Bloom onto the Pulling Tart podcast. Kurt is in his 27th year as director of broadcasting for the Birmingham Barons, AA affiliate of the Chicago White Sox. He has called Major League games for the Montreal Expos and the Toronto Blue Jays, as well as Alabama High School State Championships for basketball and football. In 2013, Kurt was inducted into the Birmingham Barons Hall of Fame. The two-time Southern League Broadcaster of the Year has had a very interesting career, including being the broadcaster for the Barons and traveling with the team when Michael Jordan played minor league baseball in 1994. You're not going to want to miss this, folks. I absolutely can't wait to dive into this interview with Kurt Bloom right after this break. Kurt, welcome on to the Pulling Tart Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on. Well, I'm glad to be here. Um, when I hear that word pulling tarp, that phrase pulling tarp, <laughs> it does bring back memories. Um, people <laughs> that know me now don't believe that I actually pulled probably for about 15, 20 years. Oh, know, wow. At the start. If you haven't pulled the tarp, you haven't been in baseball. Exactly. So yeah, I did, but I finally gained enough credibility street cred where no more tarp for me i got a game to get ready for all right all right yeah i figured uh when i was starting a podcast about interviewing people in minor league baseball what else what else could i call it good start (laughs) let's start off with what has been keeping you busy during the quarantine i'm glad it asked because there are it's like a clock um (laughs) there are really three things that i do one, I get up in the morning and I shop for an uh, organization called Shipped. And if Shipped isn't in, in you know Maryland or the surrounding area, I know Instacart is. Okay. So that's what I'm actually doing. Hall of Fame credentials, Michael Jordan, all that. But more importantly, I've got Bonzo Beans on line, uh, aisle four. And um, are the Lay's potato chips on aisle six. Okay. Um, you know, I, I had to do something. You can't sit on the sit at your couch right. know, all day long. So that's number one. Okay. Number two, um, really, honestly, the last two three weeks have been like 1994, um, and I have really I got a calendar in front of me of the Zoomcast podcast interviews that I have done. Okay. To talk about the Last Dance. 
So that, uh-huh. that I mean, I, I really stopped a lot of my schedule to do that, which is okay. That's, yeah. that's not, you know, a lot of people would like to do that. And then the third thing is my daughter and I, um, we watch Chicago PD. We went back to the very first nice. episode of season one. And, you know, everyone's got their uh, their show, their go-to show. Yeah. You find me around. That's my clock. Right? Okay. With one of those three things. In fact, we're doing one of them right now. That's podcast yeah. long day. Or, uh, the last dance yeah well thank you so much for taking the time again um as you know i certainly i grew up in the 90s watched the last dance of course and i and i have a podcast about interviewing people in minor league baseball and i made the call to timmy hines and i said you know anybody that that's still in birmingham that worked with michael jordan he said yeah i'll put you in touch with the right guy so shout out to timmy hines uh who was the second who was the guest on the second episode of this podcast. So well, probably a higher rated one than this one will be, I'm sure. <laughs> well, I and then I can certainly relate to um going back and watching old TV shows. My fiance and I we never agree really on TV shows. It is um okay. it's very it's very hit or miss with us. It's it's very much so opposites attract. And she said, "I want to start watching Grey's Anatomy again." And I had never watched a single episode, and so we just started watching that. We're in season two again, so okay, yeah, that's what we do. <laughs> so clearly, all positions are different in MILB. Can you explain your duties with the Barons during the season and then in the off season as well? Well, actually, they dramatically changed sure. as of uh, three years ago. Okay, for twenty-five years. I was in that office 12 months out of the year as part of the marketing and sales staff. Sure. So um, in September, after our mental and physical recoveries from the grind of the season, um, probably around early October, our entire staff, including me, we were sales and marketing. You didn't know me as the radio guy. You knew me as the guy that was selling you fence signs, program ads, picnics, outings, group sales, whatever it was. Sure. that went on for, as I mentioned, 25 years. Check in at 8.30 and you get out of there at 5.30 and, you know, you're home eating dinner. Right. Uh, then come April through September, uh, full-time with the team and uh, travel, do radio. Um, oversee is the better, best way of putting it. Oversee the media relations department. Um, uh, again, earlier in my career, you know, usually you're a one-man band. But mm-hmm. now um, we, we have some interns and people to do that for me so oh, wow. okay. uh, i'll oversee that and then three years ago i was turned into what we call seasonal which what which is what most broadcasters are which means yes you come in every day april through september but now you're a freelance guy um and that actually has enabled me to increase my work with uh, both sanford university and uab okay. here in the city of birmingham um i do football and basketball uh, for both, and all on ESPN three. Plug for them, yeah. and uh, a lot of fun. Really, it's been been a lot of fun doing that. Wow, that does sound like a lot of fun, and yep. sounds like it keeps you pretty busy. And you got it to does, you yeah. get to see a lot of uh, a lot of the country, and especially the southern region there. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And you know, Greenville, where we, you know we have mutual friends, that it's kind of a full circle for me too, because the Barons and the Greenville Braves had played together in, in the early '90s. Until, in fact, 
the Barons were the last team ever for the Greenville Braves at their old stadium. We oh. shut it down. Wow. And then a year later, obviously, the new ballpark opened up. Okay. So, uh, yeah, Greenville, you know, special place. And then now with um, Sanford University, we, we play uh, Furman and um, and we're, you know, in the city uh, a couple times a year, whether it's football or men or women's basketball. Okay. Wow. So and Wofford better better put Wofford yeah. in there too. Sorry about the Terriers. Yeah. yeah. All right. Most MILB employees end up traveling around quite a bit in their career, and you certainly have too, with stops in Bakersfield, California, Prince William County, Virginia, and Huntsville, Alabama. What has made you stick around in Birmingham for so long? <laughs> when I find that answer, I'll give it to you. <laughs> Well, the, the best answer and the, the right answer is you develop what's called a quality of life. And you take a look around and you understand that the cost of living, the weather, the friendliness, and a great place to raise a family. And sure. that's the right answer. Okay. Um, you know, if you're going to chase your dreams – you could do a lot worse than being in Birmingham, Alabama. Right. I don't think 25 years ago I could have said that. I didn't know that. Sure. But two children later that are now uh, of, of, you know, they're, they're young adults and, mm-hmm. um, you know, career. And my wife is doing a lot of uh, teaching and, and things like that. So um, you, you look around and you realize that AAA for me is not going to do me any good. And so it's either – it's either Birmingham or the big leagues, sure. and we'll just wait it out and see what happens. Okay. All right. Perfect. And so you've been traveling around the Southern League for a long time. Mm-hmm. Where is your favorite and least favorite places to travel to in the Southern League? Jacksonville is usually our favorite. Um, it's tough to get there from Birmingham. That's a nine-hour trip Okay. plus a hour time change. We usually get in when we're playing. You get in at some ungodly seven, eight o'clock in the morning hour. But once you get there and adjust, um, the weather's, uh, besides the rain, it's always warm. You get a nice breeze, um, great ballpark. A, um, it just, it, it's a big feel. You know, Jacksonville's a good city. I, I think we all enjoy, uh, every one of us. It's, it's, as I mentioned, physically it's demanding, but once you're there and they had a, great downtown area where um, there's a lot of places for us to eat, to drink, to, to do whatever we wanted to do. And, and that I, I enjoy the toughest um, city really ever, really ever. <laughs> I think in, in my Southern league time is definitely Huntsville. Okay. Um, and unfortunately we would play the ballpark was run down. Uh, hotels were, were not up to standard, tough to find places to eat, uh, tough atmosphere there. Interesting because you, most people would think, well, Mobile. Well, the hotel in Mobile and the downtown Mobile is some of the best. Mm-hmm. What was bad was the ballpark. The rest of it was a great trip. Okay, so as long as you didn't, you didn't have, if you didn't have to play games, you'd have a good time. Sure. In Mobile. Yeah. <laughs> All those, right. those are the ones that I, I, I look forward to. Okay. Did you, did you work, um, when you went to Jacksonville, did you work with Marco Lenave? Yeah. Yep, he was yeah, on. Yeah. He was a guest on the podcast two or three episodes ago. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Yeah, good kid, really studious and um, um, 
not only passionate and, and intelligent, but he's got a chance to be a real, real good broadcaster too. Yeah. Yeah, and I think his opportunity um, with the Akron Rubber Ducks um, is mm-hmm. a great one for him. Mm-hmm. So you've also seen concessions food evolve over the years. Yeah. What has been the best concession food item that you've had? Well, this is going to be a surprise, and, and this is something that off the top of my head um, I zero in on it. Of all places, Jackson, Tennessee, right now, the Generals, uh, again, they, it's, it's a, an older ballpark. Mm-hmm. They are on the contraction list. They might not make it. Yeah. Um, but they created about three years ago um, a steak and cheese hub. And you, you actually get a, a ticket, a coupon. There's no more press box meal. They give you one, but you, you're entitled to eat that. And I think of the five day series, four of them i'm having a steak and cheese as just knockout right there on the grill okay um i enjoy getting down there an hour before the game and just get a little atmosphere and a little fill of it um the best breakfast and brunch in the world is down in mobile a place called the spot of tea and uh, if you've ever been there you know why i rave about it why i talk about it all right all right well hopefully i get to to visit those places uh, yeah. so you've worked with two former pulling tart podcast guests in Timmy Hines and Aaron Cheris. And then we also found out Marco Lanave. Uh, so you also worked with a former coworker of mine and Brandon Harms. Do you have any stories or comments about those guys? The arms is good people. Um, they all are, are really good. Oh, yeah. they, you know, the last one you mentioned, Brandon, um, just an incredible, kid and he reminded me of me um i used to have dark brown hair we're about the same height um and his disposition is great he just absolutely allows everything to roll off his shoulders yeah he does um you know he's got this incredible way of doing that and and i really respect that with timmy hines um what was really neat was after all of our home games he'd come into the radio booth we have a beautiful ballpark and he'd come into the booth we'd wind down by watching uh sports center watching highlights and we just you know talk about his cincinnati roots and um things up that way big reds fan and uh and then with aaron you know i trained him he was one of my media relations directors and really incredible kid great future in this pandemic really just stuck him in the heart because mm-hmm. he was with the charlotte knights up in triple a yeah and obviously they had to release him and let him go right right yeah I Aaron did text me, and that happened about a week after um, we put out his episode of the podcast. And he said, "He said, I uh, guess." Hey, hey, hey. I hope that doesn't happen. You know, if, if that's the case, you shouldn't have told me that. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no. I I think I think you're safe. Um, no. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I said, Timmy Hines is going to be one of my uh, groomsmen at my wedding, and I worked with Brandon Harms for three years, and and still see him here and there. Um, and hopefully I can see him more when the season starts back up, whenever that is. Um, So we're going to dive into the Michael Jordan era of minor league baseball. Um, In your your words and the way that you saw everything uh, right after this break.
With The Last Dance recently concluding, I thought you'd be the perfect guest to come on, Kurt. The Barons had some great players, with some of them being of celebrity status, such as Bo Jackson, but Michael Jordan changed everything. Clearly, he helped the Barons sell tickets, but did his presence also help in other ways, like sell sponsorship and whatnot? Everybody thinks that that happened, but in reality, Michael wasn't assigned to the Barons until March 30th. And there was really no time to prepare, uh, less than a week. And when I look back on it now, it probably was to our advantage in a sense that we didn't have time to think. And sometimes when you think, you overthink. Mm-hmm. So we just went with our instincts. And whenever you do something like that, you rely on, on leadership. And uh, in our case, we had uh, an incredible boss and Bill Hardikoff, our president and general manager, and on the field, we had Tito Francona. Okay. So those are my two mentors and leaders. So go back to answering the question, and there was a lot of time to prepare. Mm-hmm. Um, what we did, we didn't have to worry about selling tickets once his name was announced and once the game started. Sure. But all, but anybody who's ever been in baseball will tell you by March 30th, you're done. Yep. There's nothing left to sell. Absolutely. So you know, we really couldn't squeeze in a whole lot more um, – than what we had already done, except you can always sell another ticket, but you can't build another fence sign and right. you can't reprint your program or your mm-hmm. media guy. So I think it's a, it's an important, he eventually made everybody a lot of money. Did Michael? Yes. But that, that, that backloaded, if you will, which is your selling season of October, November, December, mm-hmm. we had no idea that he would, become a baseball player right right and then i also saw the 30 for 30 a couple years ago about his stint in the minor leagues and like birmingham i think only had two phone lines and then they had to put in an additional i think 10 maybe um just to fulfill the the ticket side of thing is that true yeah that was one of my favorites is remembering um and you have to understand we were on the verge of cell phones, so they weren't really a big part of your life at that time. Right. So we had the big phone bank, and we had six lines. Now, if you dialed the main line, it would just roll over. Okay. One, two, three, four, five, six. Okay. And after it was announced that he was a baron, those lines stayed lit up. And the only way you can get an outbound call was literally, and there's a word people don't know, fax. You had to pick up a fax machine phone and then dial out and yeah. say you know, to your spouse, to your client, to whatever, hey, things are a little crazy around in here. Yep. But that was it. We didn't have these uh, you know, little iPhone things here no. you know, that gets us through the day. They, <laughs> they weren't there. So it was challenging, to say the least. Okay, I'm sure. I would imagine the closest thing I have ever come in contact to your experience with MJ would be when the Shorebirds hosted the Columbia Fireflies and Tim Tebow. I had never had to hold a press conference for a visiting player up until that point. I never thought I'd have to. Was that a common theme when Michael was with the Barons? Every day. Yeah. Uh, and then it, here's what... Let me let me explain that and break that down. The press conference, first of all, was run by our media relations department in 
conjunction with the White Sox, not me, the radio broadcaster. Mm -hmm. So I had the weight off of my shoulder. Okay. Second of all, when Michael did his press conferences on the road, it was either day one or day two, Mm -hmm. and that was it. There were no other press game, uh, post game, pre game conference, anything like that. No interviews, nothing like that. You had your, if we're coming in for four, Day one, prior to batting practice, after batting practice, the media was allowed into wherever we went, locker room, wherever it was. Mm -hmm. And they got what they needed, and he told his story and his dreams and all that. Um, At home, we, we again, went with pregame, postgame, but we did close the locker room, just like in a big league situation. Um, And there were many times, you know, one of my lasting memories, when Michael didn't have a particularly good game, 0 for 4, three strikeouts. You know, somebody else, he, he would tell the media, look, why are you talking to me? Go, you know, talk to that guy. He had two hits tonight. Right. You know, that, that was something, again, how um, he was a, an incredible team player and okay. was trying so hard to uh, to fit in. Okay, yeah. I would imagine that would be quite the change of scenery for, for him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's really hard to imagine Michael Jordan riding a bus throughout the Southern League, uh, but this was no normal bus, was it? Well, the best thing about the bus is the fact that it, it has its own life. Um, all I tell people is the bus was new; mm-hmm. it wasn't luxurious. Oh, okay. And buses back then in the '90s, everyone's bus was 15 or 20 years old. It, it, they were, they smelled terrible. They <laughs> ran terrible. They broke down. Right. What separated it was ours was new. And in fact, if people really monitored the Last Dance, one of the key scenes was he put his headphones on. Michael had his headphones on in the back of the bus. Mm-hmm. Okay. You won't believe how similar that inside looked to what we drove, okay. what we were on. Right. right. Um, and we still lease from that company 30 years later. They, it's wow. Thrasher Brothers, yeah. and we're still with them. And again, the myth that he bought the bus, he never bought the bus. Okay. But it makes a better story. Yeah, yeah, it does. I did read something that he signed the door of the bus. He okay. He, he did, yeah. It paint. Um, both sides of them. That was pretty neat. I was actually watching him do that. And the bus um, was sold. In fact, geographically, you and Brandon Harms are closer to the bus last we tracked it than we are. Oh, wow. Uh, there was some collector in the Washington, D.C. area that made an extraordinary offer to the Thrasher Brothers bus company. Um, and uh, the bus was sold. Okay. And, and if there's a, a green-painted Partridge family-looking bus somewhere in the metro D.C. area, see if it was signed, and mm. that's it. That's the Jordan Cruiser. Interesting. All mm-hmm. right. So, of course, Jordan was the best basketball player on the planet at that time. What was it like to see him struggle a bit at baseball? We, and I talk about our coaching staff, we didn't look at it as a struggle. We okay. look at the phenomenal things that he was able to do. Right, we right. Looked at the quality of at-bats, looked at the stolen bases, his outfield play. And for me, really the staggering number, again, was to hit three home runs in our huge ballpark. Mm-hmm. 
So we, and that's Terry Francona, the manager, Tito, Mike Barnett, and the rest of us in the White Sox, no one ever looked at it as watching him fail or watching him not succeed. We looked at it the other way around going, this is amazing. This is off the charts that he's able to do these things. Right, right. And and I looked at his stats. I mean, he hit over 200 um, in double A after not playing baseball for how long. He did steal a number of bases. Um, also led the league in outfield errors, which, you know, you kind of expected yeah. more, more or less. Um, what was another stat that I was... Oh, the amount of walks that he was able to work at being what was he six eight, like six six six. six. Yeah, so I mean, strike zone, you know. Yeah, yeah. That <laughs> it's amazing to me that he worked that many walks um, right. during his time. Well, it shows you again his progress, and he was able to um, follow the ball and and really, it was such a student and worked so hard. I don't know if he knew what a walk really meant or how important it was early. Yeah. But as he progressed and got so comfortable with the game, he understood, you know, he's not going to go up there and just swing to make contact so people can, you know, go go bananas and go, wow, Michael Jordan just, you know, swung a bat. No, he was up there to try to compete and try to win. Okay. Um, I do have a couple questions that weren't on the outline that I had originally given you. Were you guys – meaning the stadium or the staff ever involved in the Space Jam filming? Not at all. Okay. Zero. Yeah. We were heavily involved in 30 for 30 okay. and zero with Space Jam. Okay. I thought that they had um, filmed part of that at the Barron Stadium at that point, but that was, that's not true. Which one? You talk Space Jam? Yes. Yeah, no, nothing at all. Okay. Zero. Uh, and so much of what you saw on 30 for 30 was Hoover Met. Right. Uh, Space Jam, zero. It, it's interesting because the media relations director at the time for us, there's a very similar similar character to that in Space Jam. And we, we kind of wonder if A is B and one is two on that. No proof of it, but we, we certainly had our laughs and chuckles about it. Right. <laughs> okay. Do you take credit for Charles Barkley's post-basketball career? No, I should, though, but uh, no. Charles takes it deservedly so. <laughs> he was so special back then. And, you know, the rest, of the, and especially the state of Alabama, they know what kind of personality he is. Mm-hmm. And, and extremely gregarious and uh, bright and generous um, and it was funny because when I went back to listen to it, I said, oh, one day you're going to be on, you know, CBS or NBC. And then, you know, he's co-hosting of TNT 30 years later. Right. So, no, but I can't take credit for anything. <laughs> Zero. Uh-uh. If you guys, if the listeners do get a chance, they should go to your website, yeah. KurtBloom.com. KurtBloom.com. And right. there, yeah, and there is a whole page about Jordan's year with the Barons, and there's an interview that Kurt does with Charles Barkley, and it is, it is all time. It is so entertaining um, because of what he is doing now, and um, and talking about his career then. Um, <laughs> but he 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 is very interesting. He was very funny in that in that interview. When when that night was over with, it was one of those 
moments that you wanted to just stand still, freeze it and go, wow. I, I mean, it was probably, it was about 18, 20 minutes yeah. of Charles Barkley being Charles uh, in his home state. And yeah. he grew up in Leeds, which is about uh, 30 minutes east of the uh, of Birmingham. So it was really, it was special. It was really, really special. All right. No yeah. Question. Yeah. It's very, is very interesting and entertaining with most of Michael's teammates being much younger than him. What mm-hmm. kind of teammate was MJ to the other guys on the team? Well, he loved them and they loved him. And his ultimate goal was to fit into that locker room. Mm-hmm. And he did. I played ping pong, played cards, Yahtzee, um, whatever was going on. He had um, that game that a lot of, uh, Media has dug up about teaching our, our Spanish catcher English words. Okay. Um, yeah, he was not, I, I think the thing to remember, he was not Air. He was not MJ. He was Michael, yeah. the right fielder. And, and that's what he wanted, and that's what he got. Okay. Yeah. And can you share some stories about MJ in the clubhouse and on the road? Well, I, I, you share it and you say that, he fit in. That's what he wanted to do. Yeah. Um, he was on every single bus with us. He was in every single hotel. He had no special accommodations. Okay. His goal, and he accomplished it, was to fit in and to be a good teammate. Yeah. And he was. And I think the neat thing was um, my one of my vivid memories, we had a, a two or three Chicago-born baseball players on our team. Okay. And, you know, they grew up absolutely idolizing him. Sure. As a Knicks fan, you know, I despised him. But um, <laughs> these, when, when their families came into town, he would go into the family waiting room and spend time with them. And, I mean, that, that's just off the chart special. Wow. You know, yeah. Can you imagine what that would be like, um, that, that you grew up idolizing this guy, then you're his teammate. Mm-hmm. And so your family comes in and you go into our family waiting room and, Hey, I'm Michael. How are you doing? And all that is just incredible. That just shows you his character. Yeah, yeah. I I never would have thought of that, honestly. Mm-hmm. Did you ever get a chance to play a pickup basketball game with Michael Jordan? Yeah, one. The uh, oh, wow. the famous heard round the world pick that I set. Uh, I mean, there are videos made and um, instructional uh, how to set a pick, and and I authored all of them. The uh, team played a lot, and there's no sports team, whether it's in your area, the Capitals or the Wizards, the Redskins, uh, they're all made up of athletes, Mm -hmm. not just hockey players, football players. They all played everything. Right. They played. So, so did our guys. And we, we would play every Sunday. We had a Sunday day game usually probably one o'clock, two o'clock, got over by 4.35. And remember, it stays dark until eight, mm-hmm. you know. So there was time to play. And in August of that year, August of 94, um, he drove up. There's the Mercedes with the license plate MJJJ. Okay. 23. And uh, we broke out into teams. And I get to this day, I don't know how it happened, but um, I was on his team. And the ball comes to him, and I, I, I you know, go up and set a pick for him. 
Yeah. And he looks down on me. He's six six. I'm six foot. And he looks down and he goes, "CB, I don't need that." <laughs> that was it. That's my banquet go-to story. <laughs> hey, and a good one at that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Do you personally, now you've seen a lot of baseball in your day, do you personally think that MJ would have made it to the big leagues if he would have stuck with baseball? Yeah, no, no doubt it. He okay. Would have. Um, I'll give you what would have happened. In 1995, Michael did go to spring training, but baseball was still in a lockout. So in 95, if there was no lockout, he would have gone to spring training, stayed at spring training, would have been assigned to AAA Nashville. And then he would have been there for a couple of months. And at some point during the summer of 95, he would have been called up to the White Sox. I, I have no doubt wow. in my mind that that's what would have happened. Well, we have no proof because it didn't. Right. But that's what I believe. And that's, that's you know, all, all that I need to do is, is think it and believe it. Okay. Very interesting. Kurt, where can the listeners find you on social media and online? Well, in the last two weeks, they can find me everywhere. Okay. Um, taking a shower, going to bed, uh, at work, at play. <laughs> it's been an incredible run. Uh, thanks for allowing me to do that. Really, the, the, the fun place is right now KurtBloom.com, um, and that's with a C. I always have to mention that. And then uh, on Twitter, I don't know if I'm a good follow. I, I just talk from the heart. It's at uh, KurtBloom4. And I'm on Instagram as well. Uh, so, you know, I'm on all the, the, the platforms. But to hear all the Jordan audio cuts, his first at bat, his first hit, his first home run, the Barkley interview, that's all on KurtBloom.com. All right, fantastic. And I did listen to all those, and and they're top class and um, extremely interesting to me. Um, as a former MILB employee and mm-hmm. – a 90s child who grew up idolizing right. Michael Jordan. So um, so every episode I end with the same question, but I'm going to switch it up a little bit. So if you and if you can't remember, we'll go back to the original question. But I always ask, what has been your favorite walk up or warm up song um, that you've heard during your MILB career? But I want to know what was MJ's walk-up song. I can't. I cannot remember it. it. I know there was a time where we played the Gatorade jingle. I want to be like Mike. <laughs> okay. And I don't remember what he specifically asked for. There's so much I do remember, and and I can mm-hmm. detail games and at bats. But we also didn't have the greatest sound system. We struggled, so anything we got out there. But I think we, our front office, took control, and you heard that uh, famous jingle, I want to be, I want to be, I want to be like Mike. You know, I think that that's, I remember that, but I don't remember him specifically, you know, saying, hey, put this on or put that on. Okay. Uh, but, you know, for for me, if you had asked it to me, and I, I'm a uh, Springsteen fanatic and um, born to run just because it has a nice little baseball catchy okay. uh, yeah, um, attachment to it that that would be my walk off uh, walk off song okay uh no no kenny Lattimore for for mj no, no, no. <laughs> okay well thank you so much kurt um and uh i just want to remind everybody that 
Um, I might not be able to find the Like Mike um, Gatorade jingle on Spotify, but there is a Spotify playlist that I've put together for the podcast. Um, Just search Pulling Tart Podcast walk-up playlist on Spotify, and you'll find it with all the other episodes of the podcast. Uh, Don't forget to check that out after you share this episode with all your friends, guys. And um, thank you so much, Kurt, for taking the time to to come on to the Pulling Tart Podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, and you set inside of part of your Memorial Day with your family um, to sit down with me and talk about minor league baseball and uh, working with Michael Jordan. Well, on my exit, I'll say this. We know that the real heroes at this time are the uh, doctors, nurses, and uh, people that are working in hospitals mm-hmm. and clinics. But there's a new group out there that have really grinded and have done an incredible job with no content. And that is people like you who have put together podcasts, um, people who have uh, Zoomed and, uh, you know, just every day the talk show people trying to come up with something when there's nothing going on. There's nothing to report about. Um, So I have a tremendous amount of admiration and respect. And so um, I ended by saying thank you for doing that. And. Uh, Stay healthy and stay safe, and uh, we we look forward to speaking with you again. Thank you. You as well, Kurt. You've listened to the Pulling Tarp Podcast, distributed by Stove Leg Media. Make sure you check out our page at StoveLeg.com to learn more about Bobby and the rest of the show. Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation.